two. The youth have been in a study of James for a little bit here. Uh, I did part one of this lesson exactly a month ago, okay? So you might not remember anything. Um, We covered 14 through 17 of chapter two. We're going to be covering the rest of chapter two tonight, uh, but just uh, let me just read 14 through 17 and, and review it just quickly. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now this passage, and as we keep going all the way down to 26, is a pretty controversial passage of Scripture, um, and there's a lot of uh, heated debate around what these words mean. Um, for me, I've never really had trouble with it. It just kind of makes sense, but there's other passages in Scripture where I have trouble and other people don't, so um, don't feel differently if, you, if, you feel, if, you, if you're not getting it. Um, but we saw texts last time, a month ago, that Paul used where he's saying that a person is saved by faith alone. Okay? He says that multiple times in Galatians. He says that multiple times in Ephesians. He says that multiple times in the book of Romans. Paul says all those different things. And here you have James, a different person, um, saying now, can, can someone, or he, he actually says in verse 24 there, uh, that you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So when he says that, it almost seems like, okay, we have people, we know that God has written the entire Bible, right? He used human authors, and these human authors disagree with one another. And I don't think that's the truth, okay? So we have to figure out and we have to reconcile, well, how can he say this, James, and how can Paul say that you are saved by faith alone? I think they're saying, I think that Paul and James would both agree with one another even though they said these things that seem like they're different. Okay, so, so James says, faith without works is dead. Um, now, last time we, we read this, I left you with a quote from Martin Luther, so I'm going to start with that quote this time, then we'll jump into this text again. 19 minutes now, okay? 19 minutes of our undivided attention to this text here. So, this is the quote. Martin Luther, who did not like this book, says... We are saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone, okay? We are saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. And I think we'll kind of see what that means as we read this. So, James is going to give a hypothetical situation and then two examples. I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. You guys follow along here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, so here's the question we want to start with. How can you show someone your faith apart from works? And you can try to answer that if you have an answer to that. How can you show someone that you believe in something or someone that you believe in God without works? Is there a way to do that? Okay, yeah, but the actions are the works, right? So if we, don't have, if, we do, if we don't have the actions, how can we show them? So basically what he's saying is, by faith alone, how can, we, how can we show someone that we believe? And I think the answer is, you can't, right? If you can't do any works, how can you show someone that you believe? Well, you probably can't, right? 
because everything requires a work to show that you believe in something. So James is making the point here that by our works, you can see where someone's faith is. So let's say you have two volleyball players, okay? Two people that play volleyball, or say they play, vo- say they play volleyball. You have one uh, that says they're a volleyball player, and they are constantly on their phone. They're on the couch watching TV. Um, they are listening to music. They're drawing pictures. They're never present at the games. And then you have the other volleyball person that says they're a volleyball player, and they're training, and they're at the games, and they're playing in the games. They show up to practice. They carry around a volleyball with them, and they might even have the little knee pads on, right? All that stuff. Which one do you think is the volleyball player? Number two, right? Yeah, exactly. And why is that? Because of their works, their actions, right? They're showing that they're a volleyball player through actions, right? When you believe in Christ, like when you really have genuine faith in Christ, and you believe who he says he is, your life is changed. Your life is different, which means your actions will display where your faith is. Okay? So here's the deal. This is what James says. So he says, uh, someone will say this, you have faith and I have works. Okay? So one person over here is saying... They have faith. Second person is saying they have works. Okay? Separate. Show me your faith apart from your works. That's a very important, what would you call that? That's a preposition, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's a preposition. Cool. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. A very, another very important preposition, because this preposition is going to show agency, how it comes about. How am I going to show faith? It's going to happen by my works. So what I'm doing is going to show where my faith is. And then he says this uh, statement, which is kind of scary. hope everybody can see this. You believe that God is one. Believe. This is faith, right? You do well. That's a good thing. Even the demons believe and shudder. Scared. Okay? This is a very interesting statement that James uses here because he says... Oh, do you have my slides? I totally forgot about that. Can you go ahead and click to the next one? So in Matthew 8, 28 and 29, uh, this is when Jesus shows up to the demon-possessed guy and says... When he came to the other side, country of the Gardarens, Gardarines, that's probably how you say it, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So these are the demons recognizing that Christ is the Son of God. So even the demons know Even the demons know. And what types of things do demons do that we see in Scripture? What are are some things that demons do? They possess people. They do evil things. That's right. They're just evil bad guys. What's that? Yeah. Temptation, tempt, entice. Maybe afflict, right? They they can bring about disease and and other things, right? Um, 
There's plenty of accounts of that as well. Uh, torment, all these different things. So this shows without a doubt those things that they're doing without a doubt shows that their faith is not in Christ for the salvation of their sin, right? I hope you would agree with that. Um, they know Christ, but their works say he is not their Lord. So they know Christ. They have these works. These works do not display that they have faith in Christ. So if you've placed, again, genuine faith in Christ, James is pointing out here, and, and if you're just saying that, but you have no works to back that up, he's saying that you are no better than the demons. He says this statement here, that you say that God is one, that is called a Shema, something of that nature. That is a confessional, the Jews would confess that as they're placing their faith in God. God is one, that's what they would say. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.4, there it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what they would say to profess their faith in God, right? So he's saying, you can say that, but if you don't have anything to back that up, then you're no, you're no better than the demons. They said that too. They came up to Christ and said he's the son of God, right? They recognize who he is. They know, and they're scared. They shudder, right? They, they said, have you come to torment us before the time? That's what they're saying. So this was an affirmation uh, that we see in the Jewish cult, culture in the Old Testament of faith in God. And then James is going to go on to give two examples. I didn't put all the verses up here. That's why you need your Bible, okay? So, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? That's pretty harsh, calling him a foolish person. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is is dead. So he's just beating a dead horse here. He's saying it over and over again. And, and so it's getting, it's getting more controversial and controversial as we go. And really we get to verse 24 and it's like, what are you saying, James? Right? Uh, or at least that's how I felt the first time I read it. So he's asking this rhetor- rhetorical question. Do you want me to show you? He was going to show you anyway, but he asked you the question. Do you want me to show you how faith apart from works is dead? Or is useless. And then he gives the example of Abraham and he gives the example of Rahab. These are both Old Testament people. Uh, we see Rahab and Joshua. We see Abraham in Genesis. So he brings up Abraham and Isaac. What do we remember about Abraham and Isaac specifically? He brings up a specific event here. Yeah, when he's offering up his son, right? So he takes Isaac up. God says that, you know, you're going to offer your son to me as a sacrifice. He goes all the way up. To do it, Isaac is up there. I mean, I couldn't imagine this actually playing out in real life. This was a real event. And Isaac is asking him, Dad, you know, where's the sacrifice? We got the wood. We got the stones to prepare everything. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says the Lord will provide, knowing at that time that the provision of the Lord that he knew about was his son. And so he was going to go up there and sacrifice his son, and he almost goes through with it, but God provides a ram um, instead. So anyway, we see Abraham exhibiting his faith 
with his son Isaac. So, I'm pretty sure you don't go sacrifice your own son if you're not going to have faith in what and who you're doing that for, right? So, you're seeing his faith through his action there. He believes in God, and since he believes in God, he offers up Isaac. And we have the same thing down here with Rahab. Rahab believes in God. Since she believes in God, she hides God's people or protects them. In Joshua 2, 11 here. Back there, Kevin. Yeah. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts were... This is Rahab speaking to the spies. She's, she's saying, Rahab is not a Jewish person. And she's saying, we have heard about your God. Our hearts are melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. This is similar to that Shema, the the, um, confessional statement that the Jews would make. Rahab, a non-Jew, has heard about God. She believes him that he is the God in the heavens and above and he's made everything. And because of that, because of her faith, then the work comes where she is going to hide the spies and protect God's people. We have faith in Christ, and because we do, we show it by serving him. This could be kindness, this could be sharing the gospel, this could be serving in our church. This could be many different things here. So I, I too, agree with James. So he says, was not Abraham our father justified? And justified is really a word that means declared righteous, okay? That's what that word means. It's kind of a legal term, declared righteous. And the agency, again, we see with the preposition is the word by. Was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? But we know that in order to have these works, there was something that had to precede the works, and that would be the faith, okay? So to give you an example, and actually Tyson, I, and Kevin were talking about this earlier, you have a stack or a pallet of eggs in egg cartons over here, and over here you have a chair, okay? You go up to the egg cartons, and you see, and you know, because you know what eggs are, and you know what egg cartons are, it's probably not going to hold me, okay? So what are you not going to do? <laughs> probably not going to sit on it, right? Not going to sit on it. Um, it's going to be a sign that says fragile as eggs. That means whatever is contained in that box, you don't, you're careful with, okay? But over here you have a chair, like the chair you're sitting on, and you see it. And you know the chair, it looks sturdy enough, you're looking at it. So as you go to sit on it, you are believing in your mind before you sit down that that chair is then going to hold you so the work would be sitting on the chair, okay? So we see this, that the faith has to precede the works. We have faith in Christ, so then we serve Christ. We do things that honor him. And I just listed a few there. So, so again, I too agree with James. If you say you believe in God, yes, Beverly. So, James works action. Yeah, I mean, if it helps, but just because he uses the word works, it's probably best if we stick with that. But yeah, actions, works, I think, for the most part, would be interchangeable. I mean, depending on how you define actions, I guess, but yeah. So, anyway, yeah, I agree with James. If you say you believe and you have no works, then your faith is dead and you're no better than the demons, which is a scary category to be in. Faith apart from works is a dead faith. There's two types of faith listed here, a living and alive, an active faith, and a dead faith. And if you just say you believe and there's no works to back that up, then you have a dead faith. 
Now, uh, real quickly as we end here, I just want to explain one situation. I want to show you a video that kind of has to do with what we're talking about, and it's just super encouraging. I really like it, so I'm going to show it anyway. Um, But I just want to show you that the amount of works don't save you. A a quantifiable amount of works is 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 not what's going to save you. Again, we, we looked last time how Paul has said over and over again, you are, you are justified, you are declared righteous because you put your faith in someone else's work. That being Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that is what's going to save you. And that's the beauty of the Christian faith is that everything else says you've got to work, 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 work till you get to God. And then the Christian faith says that no, Christ worked, worked, worked and came down to you so that you pray, place your faith in his work. That's what saves you. The works follow after that. They're inseparable. They are uh, inevitable, I should say. So if you're saved, if you've put genuine faith in Christ, then works will then be inevitable. It will just flow from you. It's just automatic. It's going to happen if there's a genuine faith. But we see this account in Luke chapter 23. Yeah, Pam. Right. I never knew somebody told me that Yeah. Yeah. But the, the problem is that what's required to escape death is either a penalty paid or moral perfection. And none of us will ever attain moral perfection, right? Because um, it's not even the case of outweighing your bad works with your good works. That doesn't even matter. If you mess up one time, you've lost moral perfection. And so the, there has to be a penalty paid, and that's either going to be paid by us or by a sacrifice, a substitute. So yeah, it's, it's amazing because then it becomes this thing where I know that I can't do anything to earn my salvation. I know that someone else did it for me, and um, I place my faith in him. I'm changed forever. And then even these good works that I'm doing afterwards because of my faith in Christ, they don't, save, they, don't, they don't save me. They just are just showing, they're just examples that I believe in that guy. You know, I believe in Christ. That's why I'm doing these things. But they're not, they're not like adding up, you know, uh, salvation points to my name or anything like that. What's that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, whatever. Those crowns that we're going to throw at Jesus' feet, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry. Place them at his feet. All right. So anyway, let's end here with Luke 23. Um, you're probably familiar with this passage. Uh, one of the criminals uh, was hanging on Jesus' right, and there was another criminal on his left. Remember, there's three crosses. You see the picture of the three crosses all the time. So one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So they're hanging up on a cross, dying. They can barely breathe. They've been whipped and beat multiple times. Jesus is up there. He's got a crown of thorns on his head showing that he's, he's bore the, cr- the curse that was in the beginning when the, the thorns were um, cursed on the ground. He's bearing that curse for us. These other guys are up there. They've been thieves all their lives. They've done nothing right. Um, so he's saying, save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. So you have the one screaming at him. You have the other guy saying, hey, listen over there. You shut up. That kind of thing. He didn't say it like that, probably. 
But he said, the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. So he's saying, we deserve this, dude. Me and you, we've done nothing but wrong, okay? We deserve to be up here on this cross. For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is what Jesus said. He said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So you have the thief on the cross at the very end of his life who really we know has only done one good thing, (laughs) as far as we know, right? He's only done one good thing, and that's rebuke this other guy for not recognizing who Jesus is. The other is mocking Christ, and he says, listen, do you not realize who this is? This guy's innocent. We deserve this. He doesn't. He's dying for the sins of the world. You do not go to the kingdom of heaven with your Savior and this thief because of your works. You go because you have faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that drives you and motivates you for every good deed that God has prepared you for. The thief on the cross would never have said that if he did not believe what he was saying. He wouldn't have said that about Christ if he did not believe who Christ says he was. And so we even see in this instance faith preceding his work there. Works and good deeds are not pointless, but they are like a stamp of authenticity on our faith. And they're showing the fruits of, what did Kevin say earlier? It's not the root of our faith, but it's the fruit of our faith. Okay? So I want to show you one video real quick. Um, Kevin, if you want to play that up there. Hopefully you can turn it real loud.
I don't know what's going on now. Yeah, that's what a Scottish person sounds like. That's all right, guys. All right, so anyway, we come to the end of this. We see that faith uh, works alongside of works, okay? Um, We are not justified by works alone. We are justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It is accompanied by uh, the showing of our faith. Um, So, this is encouraging to us as Christians, because works are not enough, but works are not necessarily meaningless to us. Um, So, that's what I conclude with, with that section of James, and there's probably way more we could say about it. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts about that section there, James chapter 2, 18 and 26. Questions or thoughts about it? Man, you guys are just like the youth. I always ask that question. Oh, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I'm just thinking in my sinful nature, my, I want my works to contribute to my justification. But it's eye-opening and humbling to know that it doesn't. So I'm yeah. justified in that set. And then in my, in my head, in my pride and I feel like it helps it and hurts it if I don't stand in sin. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's, it's set, just like Christ. It's immutable. Yeah. So that's what I encourage you. Yeah, it's huge. Justification happens at a, at a specific moment, whether you know it or not. And after that, if you're declared righteous, you don't get undeclared righteous. At least that's my belief. Um, so when I mess up afterwards, when I, I've been declared righteous by my faith and I mess up bad, I'm forgiven, yeah. Christ has forgiven me of my sin when he died on the cross. It wasn't just um, one sin, it was all sin forever, every sin I would ever do. And so, this is kind of getting off topic, but you, you're seen as a son or a daughter of God you're seen as Christ. You see, you're, God looks at you and he sees Christ's righteousness because your sinfulness was placed on Christ. Um, and that's, that's one of the, I think that's the number one thing in our Christian walk that is the hardest thing to believe because we are constantly going down on ourselves. I've messed it up, I've messed it up, I've messed it up time and time again because we do, because we're still sinful. But yet, God sees you and he sees Christ's righteousness. Um, and Christ is there at his right hand, showing him his scars, saying, remember these. Except for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Confess it to God, and I would highly encourage you find one or two really good friends and just just tell them everything about yourself. It's scary, but James five sixteen says, if you confess your sins and pray for one another, you are healed. You've always, you've always heard the old adage, I just need to get this off my chest. There's a healing that happens when you confess your sin. It's a scary thing, let me tell you. 
I, there's many times where I've sinned and I just don't want to tell anybody. But, but uh, this is what James says and it's, it is a true promise. All right. Any other questions? Comments? You might be able to find it on YouTube, Nathan, and throw it up there and in the live stream just because I've hyped it up so much now and we have 20 minutes. But, all right, no other questions? I'm going to...